It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are glad to, that you are joining us today. Guess what it's doing today? It's overcast and rainy. Huh? Oh, wow, well. Wow. I mean, I got too much of the sun what yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they spoiled us. I practically got sunburned. <laughs> I mean, come on. We can't have too much of a good thing around here. I'll be building an arc after the show oh, if anyone wants to join man. me. Man, man. <laughs> yes, it's just crazy out there. Every day, my dad, my son is like, "You think we're going to play baseball today?" I'm like, mm, "No, you're probably never playing baseball ever no. again, son. This is it. <laughs> Unless that is indoor, yeah, on turf. yeah, indoor soccer is you, your sport now. <laughs> you are not playing. <laughs> well, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at six eight six eight three. Type in CG followed by your comment, and online at eleven sixty hope dot com or wherever it is that you find your podcast. I did not realize. Uh, until a little bit later in the day today, and today is the National Day of Prayer. Yeah. And another thing I didn't realize about the National Day of Prayer is that it is literally, um, it is designated by the United States Congress, which mm. really surprised me. Maybe most people know this. I didn't know this. So a little bit of background. The National Day of Prayer is an annual day of observance held on the first Thursday of May when people are asked to, quote, to turn to God in prayer and meditation uh, the president is required by law to sign a proclamation each year encouraging all Americans to pray on this day. And it goes back uh, really far. And the constitutionality of the National Day of Prayer was unsuccessfully challenged by the Freedom From Religion Foundation in 2011. And uh, it's just interesting. I learned a lot about it just reading it. Uh, but it is, uh, I don't know, does it feel odd? <laughs> In, to put it a weird way, doesn't it feel odd with all the things we talk about our culture, like going against Christianity and all this, that we still have a a sanctioned National Day of Prayer by the United States Congress? I was surprised to read that. Yeah, I I think it might actually be a violation of the Establishment Clause to the First Amendment. Like, I think, uh, again, we are both pastors, so I'm 100% pro-prayer. Um, I believe in prayer. Like, I, yep. um, that, that, I hope, is not debated at least you know from from where you and i sit yep. but it it is a little tricky to me <laughs> because it does i mean it does feel a little bit like uh like a specific governmental endorsement of a religion doesn't it yeah uh, and that is a little problematic i guess it's just interesting my guess is if they tried to start a national day of prayer now it probably would get fought against but the fact that this goes back and it's kind of yeah, Tradi- 1952, tradition. it seems. Tradition sometimes kind of trumps things, right? And so, no pun intended. <laughs> tradition kind of carries the day. And so, I also didn't know each National Day of Prayer has a theme, right? There's a National Day of Prayer committee or, uh, yeah, a group, a committee. Uh, and the theme this year is love one another. Uh, the theme comes from the words of Jesus in John 13, love one another just as I have loved you. And so... I. It, it it makes me if if I believed that like this was like a big deal for the people in Congress and this I'd probably be more excited. But hmm. there is something to being reminded that a we're to pray for our leaders and b with all the vitriol that's going on in our culture that we as Christians not only need to be praying for our leaders in our country but to pray specifically that 
uh, that we would love one another and that that others within our uh, especially within our government would understand what it looks like to love one another. Yeah. And and regardless of whether or not it's constitutional, (laughs) I think we're going to put that aside. (laughs) uh, I don't think I can put it aside. I think I think it's it's pretty central to the day. And I think it's important to talk about. I think if, you know, the church wanted to issue some sort of uh, movement to, because we have some church sanctioned annual reminders about all of these things. And I'm obviously not knocking any of that. I do think it, it muddies the waters a little bit. It feels like a little bit like, you know, the, the, the cross and the empire mm. in a way that, um, and again, do the ends justify the means Do the means justify the ends, do, you know, would, however you read that, is it, is it worth noting that like, Oh, well I'm a praying person. So I think more people should pray. So right. I, I excuse myself from thinking critically about whether or not something like this should be coming from our government in the first place. Um, yeah, we're all susceptible to that. If yeah. we already agree, then it's it's harder to scrutinize. Just I think individually, because like, oh, I already why why push back on that? But I yeah. uh, I don't know. I I wonder if it is this the really hel- is this the most helpful way to continue to elevate the significance and necessity of prayer, um, or is there a better way forward? Yeah, I. It it does fit. It's funny we're we're learning each other's personalities. Like I'm just kind of like, hey, cool National Day of Prayer. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I want to get to the constitutionality of it, and it, that's really good. And I, a lot of it is so much just for show. I totally get it. At the same time, I'm excited to have a a time where hopefully Christians are reminded to be praying for their leaders, whether it's coming from the government or not. I think you're totally right about this. Um, but to be reminded to pray and also be reminded that. Um, Shane Claiborne tweeted about this this morning. Did he? Uh, Claiborne, and not surprisingly, it was in response to Franklin Graham. So uh, Shane Claiborne tweeted, uh, I am really excited for the National Day of Prayer, but I wish it was called the National Day of Prayer and Action. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so not just pray that we would love one another, but go out and act upon it today. Not yeah. just pray that our government would do X, but go out and act on it. And very Shane Claiborne thing to say. That is right, also very right. prophetic and truthful. Uh, but he put it that way. Um do you uh, let's let's be really open and honest. Do you do you pray for our government? <laughs> do you pray for our country? Because it's something that I've preached on in this and that. And I really never feel like it's part of my prayer life. Yeah, I definitely do. Do you? I, yeah, and it's it's that's not any credit of my own. That's that's something that has been I think cultivated in me for a long time. It was something Tell that my that. My, yeah. my parents always really elevated the significance of that. It was a lot of I think in line with them teaching us to think critically, teaching yep. us how to disagree well. Uh, how to argue well, um, not just to win, but to learn. And I think uh, within all of that, I can remember multiple instances where both of my parents would say, hey, there's going to be times where the person in this office or the person in that office or the person that's your boss at any given, you're not going to agree with. Um, that doesn't excuse you from praying for them. Yeah. And they would unpack why, which I always appreciated. Um, I'm, I'm more so now as an adult even that, that it wasn't just like, hey, do it because the Bible says to. It's like, yeah. hey, this is why it's really, really important because um, we look differently. That's what Jesus said. And so even for the, with the people that you disagree with, um, that this is part of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I, I always appreciated that. And I appreciate Shane's position too because sometimes the state, the sentiment can be uh, enough of prayers and thoughts, let's take action. And yep. Shane's saying, oh, I think it needs to be both and. Yep, yep. It isn't either or. So so often I think we get there there are camps that get frustrated that it's only thoughts and prayers, so they right. want to do away with thoughts and prayers and just action. And I think, man, action apart from prayer is also really dangerous. And so I you know, I think in a quick a quick tweet, Shane Shane makes a really interesting point. He does. And 
I think it's a great reminder for us who are Christ followers that God is sovereign. Like there's so much, there's so much vitriol back and forth. And and I think that's awesome that your parents instilled that upon you to pray for your country. I can't, I'm, I'm probably being a, why am I feeling very confessional? I'm just confessing. I don't think I've ever taught my kids to pray for our country. And I've maybe, them to maybe pray you can about start. other things. Maybe yeah. the National Day of Prayer yeah. is a wonderful uh, day to do that. But we all spend so many times uh, weighing in on Facebook and yelling from both sides about all the stuff and how much time, maybe if, if uh, more often, but at least today, yeah. we paused and we said, you know what? Instead of watching, you know, insert cable news network and getting worked up about politics today, I'm going to pause at least for five minutes and with my family pray for our country I think that'd be a cool step. If there was more people doing that, uh, then this would be a win. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and yet I still have, I think it's Tony Campolo, the words of Campolo ringing in my head. He said something like mixing yeah. mixing religion and politics is like mixing ice cream and manure. It won't do much to the manure, but it'll certainly it'll certainly ruin the ice cream. And uh... <laughs> that is the most... That is an awesome, and at the same time, the most Tony Campolo. Oh, so ever. Campolo, totally. Did we just start our show with Campolo and Shane Claiborne? We in sure the first did. Segment? You win. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing a straw hat yes. and Tom shoes. And oh, well, coming up next, we're going to dive into a difficult story from overnight. Hard words, uh, depressing words from a state representative from Alabama uh, in the midst of the abortion debate going on in Alabama. That's what's coming up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us, as always, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And you can always text us at 68683. That's 68683. Uh, Type in CG, followed by the comment or your question. Uh, If there's anything you would like to hear us talk about, whatever it is that you have for us, we would love to hear back from you. Well, but ever since we've started this show, we've seemed to circle back a couple times to the uh, ever-raging debate around abortion. And and you and I have talked about how this is kind of a biggie for us, um, you know, whether it be the stuff that was going on in New York and Virginia we talked about one day or some other things, uh, that, that this kind of gets our blood boiling and that uh, this is a, this is a, needs to be a big one for the church. Well, yesterday uh, there was... Uh, a, a debate going on in Alabama around a new uh, abortion law that was being debated in the state house in Alabama. Right, right. And it ended up passing, and it's quite restrictive. In fact, many uh, uh, lawyers are starting to say, legal analysts are starting to say that it actually goes too far and that, that this is going to be set up for a legal fight around Roe versus Wade and such. Such as the measure makes abortion a Class A felony and attempted abortion a Class C felony if it passes. And uh, so there's there we're probably going to be hearing more about this is my uh, is my point. But out of the debate, there came just some chilling words. And and you even asked me before we we came on. You're like, is there some context to this? And I said, not the news reports I saw. So Mm. maybe we'll see something come out. But this was Alabama State Representative John Rogers uh, talking about. Uh, this ab- abortion debate, he got up. And the reason I don't think there's a lot of context is because he said this from the podium of the state house, like he's making his points uh, and let's hear what he says. And then we'll react a little bit to it. Some kids are unwanted. So you kill them now, kill them later. You, you bring them in the world, unwanted, unloved. You send them to the electric chair. So you kill them now, kill them later. 
And so the big headline there is his word. Some kids are unwanted. You kill them now or you kill them later. And uh, this was, I watched this on the Today Show this morning, and it was chilling to first hear those words. Yeah. Just chilling. And and you want to think that there's some nuance to it, that there's something else, but it's it's really hard to see it in, in it at all. It was just a kind of a definitive statement. Like, uh, you, you could... I'm not going to tell a woman what to do. He says, and he says, and these kids are unwanted and loved. You're either going to kill them now or you're going to kill them later. And uh, just chilling statement. Yeah, and there's been no response yet either, it seems. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, does that mean that he's contrite, that he's embarrassed? He's like, oh, gosh, that's not what I meant. Right. That's, you know, what the hopeful part of me, which, you know, after hearing a clip like that is small. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I uh it makes me wonder what is the worldview or framework that leads someone to that conclusion. Right. Like that's that's what I want to ultimately get to. People say stupid stuff all the time. People say regrettable stuff all the time. But then what I'm ultimately interested in is what, what led you to that conclusion or even a system or a structure where you thought it would be okay to speak like that. Like mm-hmm. there is it's, – it's, and it's not that it's any better but like – you know, we live in an age where people are, you know, found later to have been recorded all the time. And they're like, oh, I didn't know there was any cameras. I didn't know right. This is at a podium. Yep. So, so if ever there's a time you think, okay, he's going to be on his best behavior at the very least or have some sort of script or an outline, like those are the environments where, you know, like what I was asking you, like not being all that familiar with the story. I was like, okay, what was he playing a caricature? Was he pretending to be someone else that he right. was calling out? Like, right. is that out of context? And that doesn't seem to be the case. Well. And so what do you do? What do you do with uh, someone? And again, not just some random person on the news, right? You know how sometimes they'll have these compilations of reporters and then they'll like ask somebody on the streets and they end up saying something really awful. And you're like, yeah. sorry, sorry about that. This is, this is an elected, elected official. Yep. Like what, what, what are we as citizens to do with comments like that? Yeah. And he goes on to say it got even not darker, but it, he even added later, he said, some parents can't handle a child with problems. It might have no arms and no legs as a as another justification uh, for abortion. And <clears throat> it is just heartbreaking. I mean, there's nothing at the, you can. I, I obviously have a very specific viewpoint, but you can argue policy, right? You can argue some stuff. But to hear these chilling, it, there's no other way to describe these words than just chilling and sickening. And um, but also um, very descriptive of of this person's view and this is a person like you said helping set policy helping right. set law and that is scary uh and like you said part of it is like you just need to this needs to make you sad like what part of part of the reason I wanted to play the clip was just for all of us to feel burdened yeah and and it's hard it's it's just hard to hear i do want to turn it this way a little bit because sometimes it can be easy to just wag our fingers at like the extreme and be like man, this is why, like, this is why you need to stand up. And I do think it's words like this that us as believers need to stand up and be like, no, this is, there's a different view here. Hmm. Uh, but he does touch on something when he talks about kids that are unwanted, when he talks about kids that are unloved, that there are parents that can't hide, handle a child with problems. And I don't know exactly what it looks like, but increasingly as we have these conversations, I'm driven more and more to say that the church needs to be the, the primary place that steps in here and loves the unloved and wants the unwanted uh, and protects the most vulnerable 
and that sometimes it's easy to get up and be like, this is despicable. Um, but kind of what we talked about in the last segment when Shane Claiborne said, we want to pray and act. Yeah. Like this is somewhere where the church, and I don't have the, all the answers, but this is somewhere where the church needs to increasingly act in order to step in. Do you think if the church was doing that, that John Rogers wouldn't say things like this? I don't. Really? What I hope is that if the church was increasingly doing that, and I'm not talking about over the span of a month, like over the span of a generation, yeah. people saw that that there was this movement of churches helping. Like there was, it was more obvious uh, that maybe I'm not at all concerned that or believe that John Rogers or whoever's like this is going to change their tune. What I hope is that the woman who thinks she has nothing that she can do except go to the abortion clinic yeah. might understand that there's another option. Yeah, I... <sighs> I guess that's my hope. I don't. I suspect John Rogers. This is as much a political statement as anything, and that he yeah. believes this. And that's no amount of. I don't think anything's going to turn him. That well, okay. So that's definitely part of it yep. for sure, right? And how do we parse anything as truly authentic yeah. in this context? Because you are vying for votes or dollars or whatever. Like I, you know, I get that. That's some of what political theater is. The other part of me um, to get a little existential <laughs> is to want to better understand why why for us let's let's say the the worst possible scenario that he's painted here it's it's a completely unwanted pregnancy to a really low income family where yep. by all measurements this kid's going to have just a rough rough life that someone if if they begin their life unwanted isn't worth living mm. um that mantra is really problematic it for me is. because in a lot of ways, there's there's so much gospel that's counter to that, so much gospel truth that like when we were far off, mm. when we were still distant, when we were still sinners, God came after us. When we knew nothing of him, wanted to do nothing with him, that he pursues us. Like this idea of like, well, if a kid's unwanted, he's better off dead anyway. Ooh, so where crazy. are you getting that from? Yes. Like how are you? There's plenty of unwanted kids that live in mansions yes. to parents that are technically married but are glorified roommates that have every resource they could ever imagine and their life is a prison too yep. like this idea that like oh anyone that's anyone that's born to this this particular life stage or this particular context you know what they'd be better off if they just, let's do yeah. them a favor let's put them out of their misery you know like, it's oh, unbelievable it really is to me and that's a that's a really heartbreaking conclusion to come to rather than what let's do better here yeah. at caring for the whole person and the whole system and the whole neighborhood and the whole community, not just this would be easier just to put them out of their misery. So good, man. I think that, and this is where I said, I don't know the answer, but the church and, and followers of Jesus need to step in because we, uh, <laughs> we believe that every person rich or poor, black or white, young or old, not yet born, already born bears the image of God. Right. And that that is where value is, not because they are born into this situation or that situation. Man, we've been overseas, and you see people living in uh, living in absolute squalor who are yeah. full of joy. And you're yes. just like, okay, maybe it's not just tied into money or circumstances or this. And, and maybe my metric is flawed sometimes. Exactly. That what I determine as like livable, yes. livable conditions, livable mental space, whatever, maybe I'm not always right there. Absolutely. And for me to make the decision to say, ah, let's just put them out of their misery. And you come up with quotes like unwanted in this. Yeah, and right. I, and so, friends, we hope this breaks your heart but also spurs you to action. Yep. And I don't even know necessarily what that action is. Call the nearest crisis pregnancy center whatever offer money, assistance, whatever you can do. Talk to your pastor or see what your church can do. Yeah, totally. And go down that road. That's a good so, call, man. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. We're excited that you're with us. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find uh, our podcast wherever it is that you find wherever, podcasts. Wherever, Brian? Wherever. Like, the, like, there might be places I don't know that you can In find podcasts. In the ocean? And you're... <laughs> We're a little goofy today and yesterday. <laughs> Seems to have carried over somehow. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, you and I were like, I don't know if everyone else gets those jokes, but it's fun for us to laugh. Yeah, it didn't stop us for sure. That's no. we've we've added that caveat a couple of times. Like, I don't know if anyone else finds this funny, but here we go. What did you, what did you call me yesterday during uh, the uh, oh, moose, moose Nuggets? Moose nuggets. Yes. <laughs> and I said, I'm the Moose Nuggets. <laughs> I hope that nickname sticks. I hope somebody texts us in. <laughs> the Common Good with Ian and Moose Nugget. <laughs> I'm I'm in favor. Let's do it. I mean, Reverend maybe, Moose Nugget. Maybe we'll uh, get like a moose sponsorship or something. Uh, see, now we're going. Now we're going. Uh, well, way back when you, uh, I think it was our second week as a show or third week as a show, and you missed for a week or two because you guys had a baby. <laughs> we did. And, really, uh, really early into the show's Really uh, funny. Really existence. funny. And so uh, during that week, we had many different um, guest hosts come through, which was always awkward because I was practically a guest host at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but one of the guys was uh, by the name of Sky Jatani, and uh, I found a quote from Sky the other day. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter, and uh, I found a quote from Sky the other day. And let me read it for you because I think he sums up a lot of what is a problem for a lot of Christians, mm-hmm. a lot of us uh, in this kind of uh, this whole journey of following Jesus. Sky writes this: This philosophy of spiritual formation through the consumption of external experiences creates worship junkies. Christians who leap from one mountaintop to another, one spiritual high to another, in search of a glory that does not fade. So he's kind of saying that that rather than just enduring life and just going through life, we kind of go from one mountaintop. And this is something, I don't know if you did this, but when I was a youth pastor, we would joke about this, right? Like yeah. you go on the mission trip and it's a mountaintop experience. That was the phrase we would use. And uh, the the key was to help the kids as they got off that mountaintop experience. But what what Sky Jatani is saying here is it's really what a lot of us do. We yeah. just go mountaintop to mountaintop. And uh, you think he's right about this? And if so, uh, what are the dangers? Uh, okay, a couple of things. Yeah, go ahead, go in on them. One, I think the general principle. I think he's onto something. Uh, I think the obsession with like mountaintop to mountaintop can be really problematic. Sometimes, though, the subtext is like a denigrating of any emotional experience yep. or any, any sort of like quote, spiritual high. Like, I don't think, I don't think they're all evil yep. by any stretch. So when you, when you, when you equate the word junkie, you're implying like a drug use, like, yeah. Oh, heroin's always a bad idea in the same way. These spiritual highs are always a bad idea. I don't think that's true at all. I think, um, you know, the mystics have called them moments of transcendence. Mm. And I think that that is actually, unfortunately been kind of co-opted by a bunch of other, ways of life, but that has existed in our tradition for a long time. And now we hear transcendence like, oh, he's like a weird yoga person or something. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, that's, yeah, yeah. That bums me out. The other thing that I think the quote misses a little bit, uh, and maybe maybe we'll have him on and we can debate this a little bit. When, when he talks about worship junkies, it's again, it's implying that worship is this one minute experience, either that's music or the Sunday morning gathering, yep. when I think a much more <clears throat> robust understanding of worship is all of life and all that we do. So 
So a worship junkie actually doesn't work as a turn of phrase there because I think what he's trying to articulate is like an experience junkie, like, uh, you know, worship experience or a a, a song moment or a high at the end of a sermon. Um, So I think he's I I think he's certainly on the right path there to to not his point is to not just keep chasing experiences all the time because that ultimately just won't sustain you. And I do appreciate the mountaintop experience because so much of life is just in the mundane, in the ordinary. Yeah. And the, that, the common, if you will. If you will. <laughs> and what can become hard for us is to just be like, well, I'm not like completely, and here's another youth group term, right? On fire for Jesus. So either I must be doing something wrong or right, right. or Jesus is having an off day. Yeah, or, right, right. He's, a, uh, he's asleep at the wheel yeah, or something. There's yeah, there's something wrong with me when, uh, how, gosh, how many times have you, and I, we should put this up in the studio just because for the number of times we've used uh, Eugene Peterson's phrase. That following Jesus is just a long obedience in the same direction. Like sometimes it's just Tuesday. And yeah, but if you think of that metaphor like as a road, it yeah. means sometimes you're, you're in Idaho, yep. but other times you're in Colorado. Like mm. long obedience doesn't mean that you won't still sometimes be on a mountaintop, which I feel ironic even being the one taking this position because I tend to be like valley guy. Like You do. You know, and I, my wife actually wrote this beautiful song about beauty in the valley for this this uh, this passion project called Beauty in the Common, and and she talks about oh I can't believe I'd never even thought about it. She's like a, a river is in the valley, like stuff grows mm. in in the valley. And I thought I I had never thought of that imagery. Like we always talk about mountaintops, and mountaintops tend to be mostly what uh, rock, right? It's, yeah. And it's and so we talk about the breathtaking experience of being on top of a mountain. But her and she's she's just such a good lyricist too, as she like weaves these things together but the the thought that like man stuff grows in the valley though yeah so don't avoid the valley because there's work that's done in us and through us in places like the valley yeah your wife writes songs huh oh my gosh man she is an incredible songwriter she really? has a, oh yeah she and she's got a beautiful voice and it's it's so it's beautifully unique but it's also just like classically wonderful and she she's written a couple of songs and she's yeah she's 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 remarkable Maybe she should write the song like that we open every day with oh, and sing it. Oh, I could pitch that to her. <laughs> she come and do it live every day. Ian and Moose Nugget. <laughs> I like how much you like this nickname. <laughs> hey, if you, you just can't fight it sometimes. Uh, but uh, I think you are right in the sense of like, it is interesting because you tend to be Valley Guy, but I do like that, that in the Valley. <laughs> valley <things> Guy. Go, <laughs> Moose Nugget and Valley Guy. <laughs> Yes, now we got oh, no. it. Sorry, I know you're about to take a serious turn we there. We got it. We got it. Uh, but if if we're just living on, this is where there it's the gray area, right? Because yeah. I, on the one hand, I want to say we can't just live on the emotional high. Totally. On the other hand, we've talked in the past earlier this week that like emotions an important part of our faith. It's a part of being human too. Yes, yes. And so often we get into churches and it's like everything emotion is bad. And that's not what Sky's saying. We're just kind right. of taking it further. Right. We say everything emotion is bad. And so yes, we would agree that you can't live emotional experience to emotional experience mm. thinking that that's what will sustain your faith. And mm. then when there's not the emotional experience, you know, oh, my faith isn't worth anything. I'm going to get rid of it. But you also can't deny that we have emotional experiences, ups and downs, yeah, and that, right. that is part of our faith. I think one of the things, too, that I find interesting, particularly about, not to keep rallying on this one quote, but worship junkie. So junkie certainly implies an addiction of some kind, right? right? Of uh, An addiction doesn't have to only be destructive substances. Like, 
you would never say, oh, so-and-so is addicted to food. He, he, he eats like three times a day. Like, no, no, you, that's actually an important rhythm for sustenance to actually know you have to feed your body, right? Yeah. So, like, to, to say that someone, not, some people actually are addicted to food, and that looks very different. Yep. And so I, I think to say at all that somebody, I actually don't even think it's wrong to at times crave an emotional experience. I think so. Say, God, I've... I mean, read the Psalms, right? Mm. There, There is this sort of, God, I, I once had this confidence that you were here, and right now I don't, I'm not so sure. Would yeah. you show your face to me? Would mm. you make yourself known? Like, to me, that feels like, please show up in this moment, not just, not just, and it is sometimes this, but it's not just remind me of your law. Yeah. It is, oh, please, would your, I need your right hand to uphold me right yeah. now. Like, like a deer is longing for streams. Mm. I'm, I'm aching in this moment. And a lot of times we look more like dualistic Gnostics. Yeah. Like, that, those are just emotions, and it's time to worship. Yep. I, I don't, I mean, I feel like in the list of heart, head, soul, strength, the heart piece seems to imply, like, yeah, feeling is included yeah. in the mix here, and that's yeah. important. That's good, man. I think that one thing we love about this show and doing this show is to try to help people wrestle with the middle ground, yeah. the gray. Like, you, there is something to be said about being too emotional. There's also something to be said about being not emotional enough yeah. and not realizing your emotions. So. We would love for you to wrestle with that, and I think that's what we're trying to accomplish here on this show. That's right. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at at Facebook.com. I did it again. He's back. Welcome back. 50-year-old me is here (laughs) Uh, at the Common Good Radio Show at Facebook.com. You can find us there, the Common Good Radio Show at 1160hope.com. You can find us also. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. Man, sometimes we talk about hard stuff. We did that earlier in the show, talking about the abortion debate, or not even debate, just the words of that state senator. Uh, last segment, we just talked about what is sanctification and the journey of following Jesus look like? Is it all mountaintops and valleys or is there is there something else? Uh, also, uh, we're going to get a little bit into the into the funny now because you and I are both pastors. We talk about this all the time. And as pastors, we get to talk a lot and we get to be on stages for better or for worse, for better or for worse. And so every now and then you see people, men and women uh, who are really skilled at the craft, where when you watch them either live or on video, you're like, I should never speak again. <laughs> I should never do this again. I feel that most times watching anybody. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. You go to a conference and you're like, I was really inspired, but one of the ways I was inspired to never speak into a microphone again. <laughs> or like like you see him, you're like, we should just pipe him exactly. in each Sunday. I don't even need to. Like, right. you're, on, you're podcasting, right? Can <laughs> yeah. we just... just play the audio? We'll get like a dummy on stage or something. It's so There's already a dummy on stage. Oh, boy. So one of those guys is a guy by the name of John Acuff. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name. A-C-U-F-F. He's not here, so we can call whatever yep, we want. Yep. Uh, and uh, he is just hilarious. And he does a lot of speaking to corporations, to businesses, a lot of leadership stuff. Uh, he'll do, like I know our, our church hosted a thing called Work is Worship. That was a simulcast through Right Now Media. And he spoke at that and was awesome. Just awesome. And he could be really funny. He could be really challenging. He's just a, a wonderful um, communicator. And so he's also very, um, uh, he, he's often on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, he's very active there. And last night he posted something on Instagram. He was speaking, I believe, 
uh, maybe at like the Orange Theory Conference or something like that. I think it was one of those, something like that. And uh, he brought up a turtle. And, and I want you guys to go back and, and Google this because it's all it, you'll find it. He's using he said in his thing, he said, I thought it was a great idea in front of all of these people to use a live turtle as a uh, as a uh, prop at, uh, for some point he was making. And I've done as, that. Yeah. With a live turtle? Not a turtle, but yeah, go on. <laughs> Something live. Yeah. He's holding this turtle. And making his point, and the turtle begins to just pee all over him. Oh, uh, I don't think you can say that on the radio. Oh, I can. I can say turtle. And so... <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. This turtle begins, I don't know, urine, urinating all over him. And he begins... And the place goes nuts. The place just Obviously. starts laughing. Right. Because he's, he, he's in like a suit, too. Yeah, like it's a formal gathering. He handles it so well. He just... He holds it, and he just continues to smile <laughs> as this thing is being... He doesn't uh, scream, or he doesn't... He doesn't and, you know, scream. That's the, good. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about seeing a, a gifted communicator like him have that moment that that is that makes me feel good. But it made me think. Just sometimes part of this show is just helping people learn our story and learn about us. What comes to mind? What is one or two of the most embarrassing or cringeworthy or anything that's happened while you were speaking, whether it be at your church or at a school, <laughs> somewhere where you had a microphone. While uh, I was speaking. That's the context. So it has to be like a no, on a stage. I can, what it comes I, to mind. I can, I can follow those parameters. Okay, go for it. There's one that's fairly recent. Yep. We had an illustration where we were talking about uh, Jesus's invitation is never like a half in, half out. It's sort of like an all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about what we end up doing is... We, we sort of, we give Jesus part of our life, we dip a toe in the waters, and then we get really upset that, you know, like, he isn't, quote unquote, delivering on what he promised. We're like, well, you, you've, you're not really fully in. And so the illustration was, oh, it's kind of like, get into a hammock. Have you ever been trying to get into a hammock where you're like, <laughs> half in, half out? And actually, that's not how a hammock was designed to work at all. <laughs> and when you try to, like, maintain your own footing, the hammock can't be a hammock either. Yeah. And uh, so we had done the service a couple of times already that day, and it was our 5 p.m. Sunday evening. And the thing that makes it extra extra funny was that our uh, our crew had been joking about messing with the hammock all day long. And when I sat in the hammock, which, remember, illustrates Jesus in the sermon. You're, it's making it important. It's driving oh an important goodness. point home. Just <laughs> collapsed underneath me. And it wasn't even like a quick collapse, which made it all the more sad. Like, it just slowly crumbled to the ground and I just like laid on the stage <laughs> for like 15 seconds like well and it was really funny because um because somebody came up to me afterwards and was like that was fantastic I don't know how you made the hammock crumble like that right on cue and I was like it was not it was not supposed <laughs> to do that but I appreciate the compliment yes. though that apparently they didn't know that was that was uh it was funny because as it collapsed too and you know by the time the service was over our media team our, um had already created a video clip and a gif <laughs> Because as it was collapsing, I went, oh, dear. That's what I, <laughs> so everyone was laughing about, oh, dear. And I was like, oh, dear is not what was in my head. Nope. But, <laughs> nope. Saying, oh, dear, was a victory in my mind. So that's we, probably the most recent I can think of. You need to find that video clip that they made and put it on our Facebook page. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. That's that. good. So uh, before I tell mine, one time, uh, I went to your church this summer. I was on sabbatical, and I right. came and I watched you preach, and a wonderful sermon. I even remember it was out of the book of James. You oh, guys are going thanks. through a series on James. Me and my daughter were there, uh, and you brought out, like, a flamethrower. Oh, right. And I was like, he is about to burn his church He's going to hurt himself. <laughs> yeah. 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 And what I loved is you picked it up, and the whole audience went, oh. <laughs> like, there was this gasp, but I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> That's true. It was funny. 
Uh, so my biggest one, a couple years ago, I was preaching, and uh, I was getting very passionate about uh, how a lot of us just deal with just guilt and shame, and it weighs us down. I'm talking about freedom in Christ. And uh, I said the line, and I can't say it now because I will get taken off the air because oh, it's no one God. of the words you can't use. <laughs> I said the the line that I meant to say was a lot of you are dealing with a lot of shame and guilt. Oh, I already know where you're going. And with if this. you combine, use your imaginations, people. If you combine shame and guilt, and like it comes out, it can come out very inappropriately. But it actually fit the sentence perfectly. <laughs> right. So it sounded intentional. It said, instead of saying a lot of you are dealing with a lot of shame and guilt in your life insert the other word it fits perfectly <laughs> and if you've ever preached you know people are just kind of watching you they're listening some people are kind of zoning out and all of a sudden i said it and everybody sat up wives were hitting their husbands people are i can see people mouthing the words did he say that <laughs> and i just kept going oh you did i did not good for you it. afterwards i laughed with people they were like did you say yes i did i sure did thank yes, you for coming I <laughs> and i think it brings up an important point like i know I'm guessing when you fell out of the hammock or when I swore in front of my congregation. <laughs> oh, you swore? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> I, I came up with the wrong I, word. <laughs> I said, shoot. <laughs> I'm guessing that. It's another opportunity as a speaker, as a pastor, to like just show your that you're a normal person yeah. and just laugh at yourself. Well, normal should probably be in air quotes for you yeah. and I, but you yeah. don't take yourself too seriously. You can't. You really can't. And I think that is that is really a constant. I'm amazed at how many sermons I've walked off that stage thinking like oh, I flubbed here, I missed this, yep. and some are like, man, I I really appreciate you being real. You're like, really? Because I missed like four points back there. Like I <laughs> I tend to think because yeah. I know what I screwed up, I know what I messed yep. up, and that consistently is the feedback hey thanks for thanks for being real up there and that 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 feedback is consistent it is true sometimes the times where i get off the stage and feel like i've been the least um like on point right, or the right. least i've said Precise it or, exactly yeah. no i can't say it either <laughs> where i've least felt it just on point and do it and that's the ones where i get off like hey that was really important to me and the ones where i feel like i killed it totally. people are laughing at the right time this i get off and it's like crickets yeah <laughs> totally total totally. crickets so go to the uh Go online and look up John Acuff. It's a funny clip. Be looking at our Facebook page now that Ian is going to put up his uh, falling from his uh, f- from his hammock. And uh, I can't post mine because uh, I'm going to find it. But it's fun. Is the audio online somewhere? Uh, no, I don't even remember what it was. This is a long time ago. So oh, I don't man. think it was there. So. I'm going to find it. There you go. There you go. Well, coming up next. Uh, I've read something very interesting on Facebook, not uh, not given by some famous theologian or for some big author, but given by a radio host who Mm. shares a studio with me each day that I found very challenging and worthy of discussion. We're going to discuss one of Ian's Facebook posts from the... Was I too crazy about that? Yeah, God, sorry. I was like, I've narrowed it down to four names. We're going to discuss People don't know there's all these people sitting around the table right now. It's very uncomfortable. We're going to talk about Ian's Facebook post next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you're joining us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can follow us online at 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you do your podcasts. You can also text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by uh, your comment. Uh, Let me do this reading real fast. Books can shape our lives and change the way we think. This week only, visit 1160hope.com slash contest for your chance to win One Perfect Life and One Faithful Life from Dr. John MacArthur. These biographies of Jesus and Paul will challenge and enrich your faith. So enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160hope.com slash contest. Do you think we're allowed to enter this? <laughs> I never thought about that. I'd Maybe. like to win his book. I'd yeah. like to win his book. Go for it. Or hey, John MacArthur, I know you're a show. You listen to us, right? Send us some books, I'm man. sure. Yeah. You should lead with that. <laughs> I know you listen. Hey, Just send us your book. John book. MacArthur out there. I want your book, man. Come on. Send <laughs> I, it out. I want your book. It sounds more like you're taunting him than anything. <laughs> Give me a book, man. Like you're like taking his lunch money. It. John, I bet you won't do I, it. I bet you won't do it. <laughs> Grace to you, John. <laughs> My dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> Grace to you. <laughs> so. Sometimes I find show content, and you find show content just on news sites. Sometimes we find it just in things we've seen. Sometimes we hear it in dark back alleys. Yep, occasionally. Yeah. Sometimes it comes on your co-host's Facebook page. So that's where I got it today. So let me I read. Mean, Valley Guy? <laughs> <laughs> Moose Nugget got on, the, got on the Valley Guy stuff. And uh, here's what you wrote uh, uh, earlier today, and it's got some comments to it. But I am I would love uh, what you wrote, I think, is is uh, is good. It's provocative, and it's uh, probably it, it, uh, requires a little bit of explanation. But it's something for us to wrestle with. Uh, so I'd love to hear kind of your thought process behind it. You went back. I was just writing from a book I read. I don't know. Uh, Ian wrote this on his Facebook page. God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Let me read that again. God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. I like that. Talk, talk to me about that. Where did that come from and what caused you to put that out there? That probably just wasn't in a vacuum. You probably felt the need to put that out there. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, Brian, <laughs> nope, and I will it. offer no further commentary. <laughs> if you don't understand that. I'll do more reads right now. <laughs> <laughs> just do more reading. That's how you're going to fill time. Angels. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, honestly, a lot of this came from reading i i'm in this like new church planning world where for most of my adult life i wasn't so david john ferguson in a lot of ways um have been at the forefront of this church planning movement particularly in the united states and have taught a lot about you know missional thinking and multiplication thinking and dave's new book hero maker has this kind of stuff sprinkled all throughout it um and that's led me to read some other guys who are now local like stetzer has certainly mm-hmm. uh talked a good deal about these things and i've heard Part of this sentiment spoken a couple times. I couldn't actually trace the quote back specifically. So, if if it is somebody's quote, please please let me know so I can so I can cite them specifically. But I for me, uh, it came as a result of wanting to make sure that we keep order and priority in their proper place. Mm-hmm. So so easy when I I think it's um, attractive for churches to adopt. Uh, business principles because Mm -hmm. they are effective and we've seen them work in other markets. And one of the ways that I see that play out sometimes is um, the the ownership of our mission. Like we're the ones that came up with 
a clever phrase or yeah. a unique branding or and I'm not opposed to any of those things. I think yeah. all those things are are good and helpful. But the sentiment, though, that it's not it's not the church that, that you know we now have this mission because then that that really kind of falls on us then a little bit. Yeah. But to remember that like God's mission of redeeming and restoring the world way pre exists the church, mm. and that should be humbling to us mm-hmm. that that this introduction of this thing called the church that we get to be a part of this mission that God has had in the world since the beginning of time and even before like that. That expands and elevates, and I think the implications of mm. that posture is what makes ecumenism more possible. Mm. It makes building bridges and friendships more possible. It's all the stuff Patrick was talking about. Yeah, when when we remember, and maybe even not remember, when we realize that, like, oh, we are we're on the same team because it isn't about our individual missions. God already had the mission, and then He like calls us to live differently as yeah. a result. Yeah, and the church is one of the places that we work that out. Um, I think that that has a way of lowering our territorialism. Mm. It shows that like God's the author of these things, not us and not our denominations and not our branding experts and marketing strategies as good as all of those things are. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think that's sh- that shift, that inversion of, of priority and ownership actually has a lot of implications. Yeah. And you touched on this, but what do you think is, it's like I'm interviewing you cause it's your quote. Right? <laughs> what do you think is the danger when we invert them, which we often do. Uh, and you touched on it a little bit, but maybe uh, drill down on that a little bit. What what happens? What is the danger? What do we get wrong hmm. uh, when we invert them and uh, do this backwards? I I almost don't think I would say get it wrong, although there is definitely parts that we get wrong. I think what we miss is a posture that begins first and foremost with Holy Spirit. What are you doing? Hmm. Like in our midst, like we want to. You know, you you and I both we, we have very different personality types, and we're you know I think we're different kinds of leaders. But I know that we both often feel the weight of like this whole organization's success rests yeah. on my shoulders, yeah. or I I have to be the one by my own muster and strength to make it happen. And I think it's easy to perpetuate that sentiment when I believe it's my church or my mission. But when we when we really spend time unpacking what it means for God's mission to have a church and for us to be a part of that. It makes it so much easier, so much more intuitive for us to mm-hmm. say, man, before we plan a minute, let's humble ourselves before the God of the universe who has given us breath in our lungs and enabled us in any way, in any capacity to lead and serve people. Like it has a very mm. humbling sense, I think, at least for me to remember, oh, God, it's not me trying to conjure the Holy Spirit, trying to flag him down. Like, hey, could you do something in my church? It's instead saying... God, would you open my eyes to the ways that you are already at work in our city, in our neighborhood? We want to join that. We want to yeah. join the work. We know that you've gone before us. Like it just mm. has such a, um, so it is so. It really is an inversion. But I think it shifts not only like language, which is really really important, but also execution and how we talk about what it is yeah. that we do. Yeah, man, that's really good. You're a deep thinker sometimes compared to me. <laughs> so, I'm just over here like moose nuggets. My, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is. When we put the onus, and we're pastors, so we uniquely do this, but I think churches, you can get people riled up and be like, we are going to take the world. Right. We have to save the world. Right. We've got it, not the world. It, usually we talk about our community uh, as opposed to like we're joining into the mission of God that is going on, uh, has been going on, and will continue to go on. I think that's really important. Do you find like when you are doing this, I know you said not wrong or right, but I'll just use right for sake of the discussion. When you get this right that you're talking about, uh, do you, does it give you uh, the opportunity to breathe like kind of greater peace and greater 
uh, yeah, peace. Yeah, in one sense, it most certainly does. In another sense, it, it does have a way of sort of elevating even more what it is that we do. And, and part of what that does, I think, is it elevates the common, the common mm-hmm. space, the ordinary space. It isn't just the mission of God uh, isn't excluded to a certain address or a certain building. So in one sense, that's very freeing. In the other sense, it does have a way of saying, uh, God, help me to see every interaction, every table as an altar, every conversation yeah. as this opportunity to um, to make the grace of an invisible Christ visible by the way that I love and yep. serve and care for people. And even by the ways that I bite my tongue, the way that I interact online, like all of that now becomes like charged with the grandeur of God. And I think that's a really important way to live. But I don't think you get there without first recognizing mm. that God, you are very, very big and I am not. And that's actually really good news. It yes. doesn't have to be a blow to my ego. In fact, that you would know me, that you would see me, us, that you would see us and always keep us kind of at the forefront um, is a scandal and a grace to us. And I think that that is, that can be easy to miss when you're in the quote unquote business of church yes. because it can become, and again, these things aren't bad by any stretch, but it, it can become about bottom lines and objectives and spreadsheets. And we need those systems. I'm not knocking that at all. Absolutely. But when we forget, I think, you know, who's ultimately on the throne, that, that can all kind of get out of whack a little bit. It's good stuff, man. That's why I love your Facebook page. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm like posting pictures just like, hey, look at me. <laughs> You're like <laughs> writing deep theology. So <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. It's good. And we want you all out there to be wrestling with and understanding the nature of the church and God's not just his role in it, but his, his, uh, his preeminence over it and his, his uh, con- not control. He is the great shepherd, and we want to keep that in line and remember. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you're joining us on a rainy, rainy day. Oh, is it raining? I didn't. It's a day that ends in Y. I didn't notice. Yeah, golly. <laughs> it's just quick. It's, it makes you laugh. It's just unreal. It has to make you laugh because everyone that I interact with, grocery store, at a red light, everyone just seems miserable. What are the chances next week that we have a day where it's like 95 degrees? Oh, the chances like- are through the roof. <laughs> it's the Midwest. Who knows what it's going to be, man? It could be anything. I love last week. I don't know if we talked about it because Friday, you remember, was a really nice day. And then Saturday, it snowed. I do remember. And uh I saw somebody Facebook, uh, they made the Facebook post that I thought was so funny because it was actually my Friday. He said, Chicago is the only place where you can rush home one day to, so that you can mow the lawn before it snows. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Which I did not do, by the way. Oh, it's just craziness. So anyway, uh, when I was in college, I went to Wheaton College. Uh, I graduated in 1999. College is a great time uh, to where, where students are challenged uh, by um, kind of all the ways they were raised and to rethink things. And it tends to be fertile ground for book, for people like Shane Claiborne, mm-hmm. right? People get their hands on Shane Claiborne books and they're like, wow, I've never really thought this way. Tony Campolo, he spoke when I was in college and just kind of... Look at you listing all these progressives, by the oh, way. Oh, it just blew my mind when he was there. <laughs> and there's another guy who I remember reading when I was in college, a guy by the name of Ron Sider. Uh, and his um his book specifically was called rich christians in an age of hunger mm-hmm. uh one of the seminal books uh in in christianity around the concept of affluence and money and uh i thought it came out a lot later but it actually came out in 1978 uh and but i can remember in college we had a prof who had us read rich christians in an age of hunger and if i remember right while i was at wheaton ron sider actually spoke 
uh, and talked about this, and it was kind of mind-blowing. And so the reason I bring this up is because Ron Sider just announced this year that he's retiring. He's mm-hmm. a professor. I forget where. Uh, but he's retiring. And so there was actually a hashtag going around about Ron Sider yesterday, uh, about the influence his work had in people's lives, and um, specifically around rich Christians in an age of hunger. And so uh, I think it was even Ed Stetzer who talked about in his tweet, he said something to the effect of rich Christians in an age of hunger compelled Stetzer and his wife to plant a church in in the city of Buffalo. Right. They read this kind of stuff. Uh, And so I want to read some of Ron Sider's quotes from Rich Christians in Age of Hunger because I think they're going to make us all really uncomfortable because that's really one of those books. I love it. Yeah. And, and then I want to just to react to some of these quotes like uh, what do we do? Uh, a, is what he's saying truthful? Hmm. Uh, and B, what do we do with it? And so here, let me just read a couple of them. Okay. God's word teaches a very hard, disturbing truth. Those who neglect the poor and the oppressed are really not God's people at all. No matter how frequently they practice their religious rituals, nor how orthodox are their creeds and confessions. <laughs> we just need a bomb uh, sound effect. Tra- yeah, Jesus Louise. He writes, what an ironic tragedy that an affluent Christian minority in the world continues to hoard its wealth while hundreds of millions of people hover on the edge of starvation. Wow. Here, let's go. Another one. God thundered again and again through the prophets that worship in the context of mistreatment of the poor and disadvantaged is an outrage. Hmm. You got more in you? You ready for this? Yeah, lay it on me. Lay it on me. It is a sinful abomination for one part of the world's Christians to grow richer year by year while our brothers and sisters ache and suffer for lack of minimal health care, minimal education, and even in some cases, enough food to escape starvation. Wow. Two more. We need to make some dramatic, concrete moves to escape the materialism that seeps into our minds via diabolically clever and incessant advertising. We've been brainwashed to believe that bigger houses, more prosperous businesses, and more sophisticated gadgets are the way to joy and fulfillment. As a result, we are caught in an absurd materialistic spiral. The more we make, the more we think we need in order to live decently and respectably. Somehow we have to break this cycle because it makes us sin against our needy brothers and sisters and therefore against our Lord. And it also destroys us. Sharing with others is the way to real joy. Wow. (laughs) One more. What does it mean to see the Lord of the universe lying by the roadside, starving, and walk by on the other side? We cannot know. We can only pledge in fear and trembling not to kill him again. Whoa. All right. I'm I'm teeing you up right here. I don't want to be teed up. This is in your wheelhouse. I think, hey, you're going to read this book now. Yeah, no kidding. I think you're going to read Rich Christians in Age of Hunger. What are are some... uh, what are some of your reactions to some of those quotes? I mean, that he did not pull any punches there. Which I uh, honestly do appreciate. And as a caveat for anyone that's maybe just joining us for the first time, like I uh, have a particular bent to agree with positions like this. Yes. And I do realize that that means I've come to a lot of these conclusions as a result of my education and my context and my worldview and blah, blah, all the things that form. I'm not saying I'm just saying that a lot of these things I care about. From yep. the care of parents and mentors and, you know, um, I'm the result of a lot of that. So that said, uh, e- even with uh, a bent to agree with him, it feels like, and this, you know, the book has been updated a number of times yep. since the late 70s. It is refreshing slash telling how tense I got hearing some of those words. Mm-hmm. Like there was a part of me 
where I'm hearing you read them, I'm thinking like, yeah, get them. Yeah. The other part like, oh, that was a little aggressive. Like, oh, <laughs> gee, gee, you know, like I have this bent theologically, and yet I also live in 2019 where there is this increasing sense of like, well, don't say it like that. Yeah. Like that, ah, that almost sounds mean. But then the other part of my brain is like, yeah, maybe maybe you need to be aggressive or people aren't going to actually snap out of it and hear this. And mm. But then the other part of me thinks, you know, is this uh, missing the forest for the trees? It's now... I have I have I have experienced so many people who have shattered my one dimensional view of like what a wealthy person yes. looks like and acts like and what a poor person looks like and acts like and the disparity between what I think I thought in my twenties to where I'm at now I hope will continue to grow as like I continue to have stereotypes shattered um, but I think he, I honestly I think he's got a lot of wisdom here yeah. and. Uh, there, a lot of what he's saying is, is I know, carefully thought out theological statements, too. They're not just, these aren't memoirs. Like, this is the work of a theologian who is saying, hey, th- these are things worth wrestling through at the very least, and probably even more so, like, putting action toward, you yeah. know? He, I, he says this, it destroys us. He's talking about the cycle. Uh, he says it destroys us. Sharing with others is the way to real joy. And that was the one that stuck out to me. Uh, I think we were talking about yesterday how, like, oftentimes, uh, what did you say? You said people don't ask, is it true? They ask, is it... uh, Does it work? Does it work? Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the statements right there that most is, like, does that really work? Hmm. We say, I've preached it, you've preached it, right, about contentment and where true joy is found. And he's saying, he come out and he says, joy, true joy is found in giving to others or sharing with others. And uh, A, do we believe that to be true? And B... Why is that so hard for us to believe to the point of action, do you think? So uh, Martin Luther had this phrase, uh, incurvitus in se, which means uh, the heart curved in on itself. Mm. The idea is that um, the vices may not be universal, but the posture is. So Mm. a lot of times, and we mentioned this a little bit yesterday, actually, that so often I think why generosity seems so counterintuitive is because so much of the flow of our heart and culture says you have to make sure your mountain's bigger than your neighbor's or that you've accumulated more than your brother or whatever to be really happy and successful. And the idea of like relinquishing it feels like weakness, feels like surrender, right? But we're, I mean, that's at the very center of the gospel yeah. stories that we, we don't achieve this thing by like being the strongest warrior. It actually mm-hmm. is quite the opposite by, I mean, look at the Beatitudes, you know, those, those blessedness statements are very counterintuitive yeah like weeping and mourning and meekness you know to, to our sensibilities feels like well that doesn't make any sense in the yeah. same way that somebody hearing this for the first time like wait why would i give stuff away i worked really hard for that that doesn't seem like the way to happiness and all and i think that is just in line with with jesus's continued narrative that like the kingdom right. will look very very different you think I come in on a white horse, I actually rode in on a donkey. Mm. And and that's consistent, I think, with how upside down the kingdom tends to work. Yeah, yesterday I was listening back to our show yesterday, and you, uh, there was that one point where you talked about maybe that's the point. Jesus keeps pointing out his way is opposite of what yeah. we would think. Yeah, think, right. And this right. is one of those. that mm. It's one thing to believe it with your mind and be like, yeah, no, that makes sense. True joy is giving to other people. It's another thing to figure out how do we get to the point where we're compelled to act upon it. Like, right. I believe this so deeply that I'm going to now give to others and share to others and give my stuff away and give myself away and, totally. and not yell like, oh, this is socialism, but doing it instead from my own heart going, you know <laughs> what? I want to bless people 
and uh, live as Christ did because I believe, and this could sound selfish, but we're often driven by our own selfish motives. I believe I'll be better off if I am a generous person. So Mm. I'm going to be generous. Mm. And I think that can be so so difficult to believe sometimes. Yeah. Well, speaking of generosity, we're going to talk next uh, to a man by the name of Michael Chitwood. He is involved with World Vision and particularly... Uh, a run that they have coming up soon. So we're excited to talk to him. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, We're excited that you're joining us today. And one of the things we love to do on our show is to highlight really cool things that people are doing to make a difference in this world. Uh, and with that in mind, we're excited to be joined uh, by Michael Chitwood. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Michael is the Executive Director for Church and Ministry Partnerships at World Vision. Uh, he's also the founder of Team World Vision, the Run, Walk, Ride fundraising program for World Vision. Team World Vision is the fastest growing charity endurance program in the U.S., having grown from 100 team members in 2006 to over 7,000 team members per year and raising millions of dollars for World Vision's clean water projects in Africa. He is also the author of The Ability to Endure, a book about triumph through pain and loss and finding hope in the least likely of places. Man, it's, it's impressive what you guys are doing. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history behind your founding of World Vision's fundraising program, this Team World Vision? Yeah, sure thing. Well, I was uh, uh, one of the least likely people to start a program like this. I was a college football player down at Olivet Nazarene University, and uh, I was a defensive end, and I hated running. <laughs> Certainly, I hated distance running. Right. And uh, when I when I finished college football, I swore off two things, running and morning workouts. That was uh, <laughs> my least favorite things. You picked the right sport. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, right out of school, I became a teacher in Kankakee, Illinois. And uh, after my first year of teaching, my dad invited me on a trip to Haiti with him to train teachers there. And God just wrecked my heart mm-hmm. on that trip for issues of uh, global poverty. And But I didn't do anything with it. Uh, instead, uh, a couple years later, I got married and took a full-time job with Youth for Christ, leading a high school ministry in Champaign, Illinois. And during that first year of ministry, we lost my dad uh, very suddenly. It was mm. kind of a... Um, you know, just a very sudden thing. He died following a routine shoulder surgery on his no kidding. Wow. And that just really rocked my faith. You know, I was in full-time ministry and full-time uh, first year of marriage and struggling to talk to God. And it was a couple of years after that, that a buddy of mine told me he was running the Chicago marathon and asked mm-hmm. if I would come watch him run. Um, he knew not to ask me to run it. With him. <laughs> <laughs> just come watch. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I heard a whisper that I, I fully believe was the Holy Spirit, mm. and it was just two words, do this. Mm. And so uh, despite the fact that I hated running and I'd never even run a 5K, I signed up for the Chicago Marathon. And, um, wow. You know, I was 265 pounds at the time, and I couldn't run around the block. <laughs> but uh, God did something amazing on those long, slow runs that summer. And uh, I lost a bunch of weight, but more than that, he really restored my faith. And um, I decided I would do a race like that every year for the rest of my life. And so a couple of years later, I signed up for the Ironman triathlon. Um, I didn't own a bike and I didn't know how to swim when I signed up. But, uh, <laughs> Good <I> figured, start. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
but again, God used those long training workouts to just for the best quiet time I've ever had with him. Mm. And on a ride one day, he gave me a vision that I could take these races I was doing and dedicate them not just to myself and getting in shape, but that I could use them to raise money for the poorest children and communities in the world. And uh, through the grace of God, I uh, wound up in a meeting with some folks from World Vision sharing this idea with them. And a few months later, they gave me a shot and I became the first team World Vision staff person. And that was 2006, January 4th, 2006 was Mm. my first day on the job. And that fall, we had about 100 people take on the Chicago Marathon with us, and we raised about $100,000 for clean water projects in Africa. Wow. And kind of since then, we've grown. Uh, we've helped about 50,000 people cross finish lines of marathons or half marathons wow. across the country, and we've raised about $50 million for clean water projects since wow. we started. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So, so you started this uh, thing called the Global 6K for Water, and I'm... As Brian and I sit here, like eating snacks, yeah. hearing you talk about your 400th triathlon, I, I do yeah. know this though: m- most of these races tend to be 5Ks, right? So why yes. why a 6K? Yeah, a 6K. Well, the 6K is the average distance women and children walk each way several times a day uh, in the developing world to get water that isn't even safe to drink. You know the. Most Americans don't know mm. that uh, lack of safe water is the leading preventable cause of death in the developing world. It right. kills wow. more people on planet Earth than all the wars and violence put together. Right. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so um, 6K, when we kind of discovered that the average distance folks walk for dirty water is six kilometers, we figured if we could invite people to walk six kilometers so that other people don't have to, that would, that would be pretty meaningful. Oh, that's so good. And so tell us, uh, you know, people whose interests are peaked, like, man, I really want to be a part of this. Uh, what are ways people can be involved? How can they sign up? Uh, just uh, how can people get connected with you? Yeah, so this, the Global 6K for Water started right here in Chicago. Our first one ever was just a one small host site in Lincoln Park. And mm-hmm. it has now grown to close to 1,000 host sites around the country. About 500 of those are churches who are hosting the 6K run walk this weekend in their own backyard or on their property. But here in Chicago, we got a bunch of churches and folks coming together up in Lincoln Park this Saturday. And it's $50 to register. And you can register online still at worldvision6k.org slash Chicago. Um, and, or you can register on site uh, on Saturday. And we will have um, at that location probably right around 1,000 people running or walking or pushing a stroller um, wow. six kilometers that day. Uh, and then we'll be joining over 30,000 people around the globe wow. who are doing the same thing the same day. And every single person's registration of $50 will provide lasting clean water to one person. And everyone gets a unique bib. Um, their race bib actually has a picture of a child who will benefit from oh, these water wow. projects. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so as if Brian and I uh, weren't feeling bad enough about our fitness already, uh, <laughs> you, you're also you're also leading a climb this summer. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more yeah, about I'm, that? I'm I'm kind of uh, I, I don't know if I'm leading. I'm following. My buddy Greg Slew is leading. <laughs> us. I haven't done it yet. He's done it before. But my buddy Greg Slew, who's on staff with us and leads this kind of program for um, for Team World Vision, is leading us on a trip. We're taking 50 folks up Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, I think there's about 10 or 12 of us from Chicago, including uh, my good friend, uh, Pastor Jeannie Stevens from Soul City Church, yeah. Dr. Chen Ra, 
from uh, from North Park Seminary is coming with us. That's amazing. And so uh, now, now I want to go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Well, we got two trips next year. So <laughs> <laughs> start training now. Yeah. So we've got a goal to get twenty two hundred children sponsored. Wow. Um, on this climb up the mountain, we kind of came together and set a big goal. Uh, most of us have never done anything like this before, including myself. I've done tons of endurance races, but I've never climbed a mountain. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah, we're excited to take 50 folks up Mount Kilimanjaro and try to get 2,200 kids sponsored. That's fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. With like the last two minutes or so that we have, I guess I want to ask a more foundational question as people are out mm-hmm. there. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we all have our own worries and we all have our own stresses. Uh, could you yeah. speak to the people who have never really given much thought to people uh, on the other side of the world who, are, you know, struggle for water, even clean water? Why? Uh, why should people care? Um, yeah, if you could speak yeah. to people who haven't really, ever really thought about it before. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, you know, in, um, in Jesus' teachings, uh, you know, when he's talking about the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, Jesus challenges us all to reconsider who we think of as our neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's not just those like us. But uh, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 25, when he's talking about the end of days and he's talking about how he'll know his followers, those who loved him, he says, um, you know, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Right. Mm. He walks through each of these things. But then he says, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger yeah, or naked or in prison? He says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's like you've done it for me. Mm. And, you know, we often in the church world use that phrase, the least of these. we got to help the least of these. But we can forget that Jesus is calling us beyond that. And he's saying, whatever you did for these brothers and sisters of mine. So first of all, he's challenging us to rethink who we consider family. Yeah, right. But then he's also saying, whatever you did for them, it's like you did it for me, right? And so we have a chance every single day to show Jesus how much we love him by how we love those who are less fortunate, who yeah. live in poverty. So, you know, it's, um, I think when we, when we allow Jesus to impact our worldview like that, um, it, can, it changes everything. For yeah. me, it changes everything. When I think of my own son, who's almost five, if he had to walk to get water, mm. if he had a 50% chance of seeing his fifth birthday, mm. I would turn over heaven and earth to help him. Yeah. So why wouldn't I do the same for my brothers and sisters on the other side of the world? Mm. That's powerful. Thank you for thank you for that. Hopefully that spurs people. And if that has spurred you to want to get yeah. involved, you can go to worldvision6k.org slash Chicago. That again is worldvision6k.org slash, slash Chicago. Michael Chitwood, thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope it goes well this weekend. Thanks so much, guys. Absolutely. Have we a great appreciate day, it, man. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We have reached the time of the show for the disclaimer. For the disclaimer, and this is it, that that we love to end the show with just some craziness that has been found on the internet. Been found by our executive producer, Keith Conrad. He likes to put uh, sound effects to them or... Uh, whatever else he finds his, his crazy mind can come up with. And uh, so you and I are seeing them for the first time. Uh, they usually make us laugh, occasionally cringe, but that's what makes this segment so fun. I'm going to met you ready. You ready for me to, uh, I'm going to go first today. Oh, look at you. I'm so unlike go Jesus. Yep. <laughs> first she'll be last, Brian. Calif- 
What people, what I wish people could know is that usually you're like, why am I always going through? <laughs> California, Avengers Endgame midnight showing crowd in California may have been exposed to the measles. Oh, that's not very superhero-like. Uh, moviegoers in California may have been exposed to measles. A woman in her 20s, now confirmed to have measles, attended a late-night screening of the final Avengers installment last Thursday. Anyone present at the AMC movie theater in Fullerton, California, between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. could have been exposed. The agency also said in a press release they've been working with the AMC location, among other facilities that the woman visited, to contact people who may have been exposed. The question is, probably for most of them, it was still worth it. Oh. We can't protect the earth. You can be sure we'll avenge it. <laughs> you think it'd still be worth it, even if you were like a <laughs> massive? Okay, great. Not for the measles. <laughs> oh, thank the Lord Jesus. Florida. Big plastic cow vanishes from steakhouse. Owners offer free food for its return. <laughs> it looks like I have to return this cow now. Um, don't have that cow, man. Okay, that was... We know what's coming. Yeah, it's, we know it's definitely... Coming. We're calling it right now. It's definitely a, a Simpsons drop. Police say a thief stole a plastic bovine about 12 feet by 3 feet from Harold Seltzer Steakhouse in St. Petersburg. The Seltzers just want the big cow returned to the herd. Oh, my gosh. These people are the best. There are several large plastic cows outside the restaurant, and whoever brings it back will get a free meal. The owners, Mr. and Mrs. Seltzer, say a uh, cow has great sentimental value, and they would greatly appreciate it if the cow was returned ASAP. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. Mm, not the Simpsons. I was very there surprised by that. We were wrong. France. Hmm. Grandma, oui, oui. age 85, caught with 60 grams of cannabis in her bra. <laughs> Keith. <laughs> An 85-year-old grandmother had to appear in court after agents discovered nearly 60 grams of cannabis in her bra. <laughs> She wanted to smuggle the drugs into the prison for her grandson. Oh, boy. Paulette was a bit nervous when she had to explain to the judge, I haven't been sleeping for a few days. On July 5th, 2018, <laughs> agents discovered that the woman had stuffed no less than 58 grams of cannabis into her brazier. According to Paulette, she only wanted to do good for her grandson, who was in prison. He begged me for it. He told me he would hurt himself. He means everything to me. The woman was found guilty but received no punishment. Partially, partly because she still had a blank criminal record. Her grandson, on the other hand, received 10 months extra jail time. Oh, no. What are you people? On dope? <laughs> what I want to know is, how did the grandma get it? Like, did she have oh. to go to some alley somewhere? Did I she have to meet his like, weed guy? I feel like the grandson probably had it like in his room or something, and he knew... That's an interesting question. I feel question, like though. you're speaking from experience here, Brian. Like, if it was mine. <laughs> if I was asking my <laughs> grandma. <laughs> while I was in prison. <laughs> okay, China. Spider found alive. I'm done. I don't like this oh. story. Uh, spinning web in man's ear, oh. doctor claims. Oh, just pull over if you're driving oh. right now. I'm so sorry. Remember when we told you that horror story about doctors finding four small bees in a woman's eye feeding off her tears? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember that. You'll definitely get an earful out of this creepy crawler tale. A man in Northeast China is recovering after doctors found a spider living inside his ear, hiding behind a cluster of webs, according to the sun. The unidentified man checked into a hospital in Dalian City, complaining of a pounding sound, like the sound of a drum in his left ear that would not go away. The man did report some itchiness in his ear. Yeah, because there was spiders in it sleeping the night before. A video shows the bean-sized spider in the man's ear trying to escape from the endoscope. Ugh. There's no spider here, but I will hunt down the alleged arachnid and spread some the kingdom come. <laughs> this doctor said the spider was living two inches deep in the man's No, 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 ear. no, 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 no. I'm only wearing earmuffs from now on. I can't. <laughs> He's like, oh, my ear itches. What's wrong, uh, doc? Oh, there's an animal in there. 
California. California Library book returned 45 years late. <laughs> a California library said a man who visited as a boy recently came by to return a book that was 45 years overdue. The and- Sunnyvale Public Library said Robert Samanduroff oh, well came done. in recently with a copy of the 1961 book called Midget Motoring and Carting that he had checked out in 1974. Sama Duroff, who now lives in Indianapolis, decided to return the book while in town visiting his family. He said originally he checked out the tome before he could drive because he wanted to learn how to build his own car, a feat he never got around to accomplishing. <laughs> the library said Somadorov voluntarily paid the facility's maximum overdue book fee of $10. <laughs> you took this book out in 1971. Yes, and I returned it in 1971. Yeah, 71. That was my first year on the job. Bad year for libraries. Bad year for Americans. Seinfeld. <laughs> of course it is. Seinfeld. That's so good. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Hopefully we got you some laughs at the end there. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> 